before I pray here this morning, just uh, should mention that a number of our, uh, our folks are out at a father-daughter retreat this weekend. So um, as, we, as we pray for the beginning of the sermon, why don't we also pray over that retreat? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for all the opportunities we have to grow together and to expand our love. And we pray your blessing over the father-daughter retreat this weekend and uh, especially today as it wraps up. And we pray that your special blessing will come upon, come upon them this morning, that, that hearts would be changed and hearts would be drawn together. Lord God, we pray for you to be glorified in that. And Lord, we invite you as we enter our servant time this morning, we, we ask that you will open our hearts and minds to hear your word. And uh, help us, Lord, to, to see your face. We ask that you would reveal in our hearts who we are in our relationship with you. Allow us to be fully known in that way. We ask that you would lead us and that your Holy Spirit would reveal you. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question as we get started. It's a pretty simple question. The question is, who are you? Who are you? How will you answer that question? Who are you? It's a very important question. Uh, what if I told you that how you answer that question and how you identify yourself will determine the path for the rest of your life? It will determine how you think about almost everything. It will determine your discipleship. Who are you? The answer to that question grows out of your identity. And, uh, and what is your identity, we ask? Well, what is identity? Let's see if we can get this up here. There it is. What's your identity? The definition of identity is the distinguishing character or personality of an individual, according to Webster anyway. But according to psychology today, the values you hold and the multiple roles you take on are a big part of your identity, on who you are. That's kind of the definition in a kind of technical terms. But what are some of the ways that we answer that question of who we are? How, how do we identify? How do we talk about our identity when somebody asks you, who are you? Well, you know, some of us, we, uh, we identify in terms of our occupation, don't we? Um, sort of a uh, you-are-what-you-do kind of a thing. Uh, I'm a carpenter, I'm a doctor, I'm a stay-at-home mom or dad, I'm an astronaut, I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay, I'm a secretary, I'm a student. This is especially true of a lot of men. We identify through what we do. So then what happens if you lose your job? What happens if you lose your ability to work at your profession? It's devastating to our sense of well-being because we've hung our identity on what we do. And you know, even if we're continuing to function in what we do, there's always going to be someone who will come along and make you feel bad about it. There's always going to be somebody who's going to do it better than you do, somebody who's younger, faster, uh, more ruthless, more willing to compromise. And we will be tempted to compromise, to keep up 
if our identity is based on what we do. Now, some of us identify in terms of our political affiliation. None of that going on around here. Some of us identify in terms of our politics. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm an Independent. It's kind of, uh, these days, it's kind of a uh, pick-a-side kind of identity, isn't it? You know, pick-a-side, way in. So a lot of our social engagement, if this is how we identify, is, is about the people on the other side. In fact, if we follow popular trends, we begin to demonize the people who haven't voted like us. If you vote for that guy, or if you vote for that woman. You're not only wrong, you're evil. So people that we've known and loved all our lives end up voting different than we do, and we end up on the opposite side of the fence from them. Well, what do we do with that? I've heard friends in, in both major political parties vilify the opposite people in the opposite party. And, and much to my own regret, I've caught, found myself, I've caught myself doing the same thing. You know, it's easy to get caught up in all this stuff because it's going on so frequently. So people, people of the other ilk become the evil enemy. Problem. Who does scripture say is our enemy? Ephesians 6, what does it say? It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the schemes of the Democrats. Or, or maybe it doesn't say that. Maybe it says, take up arms against the spiritual forces of the evil Republicans. Is that what it says? Is that what scripture says? Doesn't work, does it? What does it really say? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, near as I can tell, both major parties have embraced positions in opposition to God's revealed will in his word, as near as I can tell. And neither the previous president or the current president are paragons of Christian virtue, as far as we can tell from the outside. And neither party is God's chosen party. So I'm just telling you, saying this, you know, to, to say prepare yourself, prepare yourself, because the next election season is coming up all too soon. And maybe you should prepare to abandon your Christian principles if you base your primary identity on your political affiliation. And it doesn't matter how you affiliate. Okay, some of us, treading on some toes here this morning, some of us identify in terms of appearance or popularity. What if you identify in this way? I'm pretty, I'm handsome, I'm fat, I'm skinny, I'm too big, I'm too small, Everybody loves me, or nobody loves me. Appearance and popularity are terrible things for you to allow to determine your identity. You're going to end up compromising your values 
to meet the values of the people who are judging you. Or you'll become obsessed with meeting an impossible standard that is set by somebody who cares nothing about you. It's easy to end up feeling rejected and despondent. Uh, I look at these social media influencers. I'm always I'm fascinated by this trend that's come up in the last 10 years. And, and you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by how fast some of them rise. I, I was reading last night somebody... There was one influencer who had 50 million followers. 50 million people follow them and, and watch to see how they do their makeup and what items they, they open, you know, the unboxing. Like, all these companies will send them free stuff just to have them open the things on video and to describe the product because that improves their sales. You know, so there's these, this whole trend of media influencers, and I'm, I'm fascinated not only by how fast they rise and become popular, but by how fast they fall out of favor if they make a mistake or do something wrong or say the wrong thing or offend the wrong people. The attitude isn't, I want to be famous, the attitude is more like, I deserve to be famous. And it's, it's kind of strange. I mean, I, I watch these things once in a while, not too often because I don't want to get sick, but you know, I find this to be a very strange trend. Um, there's a documentary on HBO right now, it's called Fake Famous, Fake Famous. And part of it follows a couple of young women who want to be media influencers. Their names are Dominique and Wiley. And, and they're shown in the beginning uh, engaging in these 1% kind of activities. They're sipping champagne. They're eating chocolates by the pool at the fourth season. They're relaxing in bliss on international flights. And they're getting a luxurious spa treatment in all these snap photos and, and these short video clips. According to the New Yorker, this is all smoke and mirrors. The pictures were all shot in a single location. A toilet seat was held up to be the window on an airplane. <laughs> the champagne is apple juice. The chocolates are pats of butter dipped in cocoa powder. <laughs> and the rose petal infused spa basin is a plastic kiddie pool, just done in close up. Things are not always as they seem, are they? And, and people look at these things and they envy what these ladies are able to do and they want to be like them and they don't realize that this is fake famous. It's not real. Even the ever-popular Kim Kardashian became more famous by purchasing followers on social media to puff up her numbers so that she would be more appealing to, to uh, people that uh, would, would help her build up her brand. You know, we hang our identity on so many things that often become a distraction in our lives or even become destructive in our lives. We mean well, but we are becoming something that we never set out to become. The psychologists suggest, and the Bible affirms, the labels we choose to identify ourselves with are not neutral. 
They help determine the choices we make. They help lay down the paths that we will follow. Well, some of us identify ourselves in terms of popular culture. Think of the current sexual identity crisis that we're just hearing so much about all the time. There are so many labels. Gay, straight, non-binary, cisgender, transgender, gender and sex are no longer male and female, but they've becoming confused, uh, confusing neutral terms that can be applied any way we choose. It's confusing, hard to keep up, because it changes from one week to the next. There's a clip that you may have seen going around on the web right now with a, an interview with Piers Morgan and a woman who is furiously arguing that men can be mothers. And he's arguing back. He's not having any of it. He's arguing back that, that uh, mother and father are gender-specific or sex-specific terms. Well, the more he argued, the louder she got, and, and it just, just degenerates into confusion. And that about describes what's going on out there right now. There is a huge confusion over these issues. We label, we identify, but the changes, it's not constant and it's confusing. These things aren't just labels that we're choosing to call ourselves. These are paths chosen. And, and many of those paths lead us away from God and his will in our lives. We try not to talk about it because as soon as we start talking about it, we offend somebody. I'm not trying to offend anybody here, but I think we have to talk about it. And there are so many more of these identities we could talk about. We could offend pretty much everybody in this room if we kept going. That's not my intention. My intention is to remind you of what your identity means in terms of how you live and the things you choose. Our identity, as the definition said at the beginning, is not made up of just one thing, but it's a combination of many things. Now, here's the kicker. But for a follower of Jesus... There is one identity that has to supersede all the others. Your primary identity has to be in Christ Jesus. Now, we launched the Celebrate Recovery Ministry about a month ago now. We had our fourth meeting this past week, and, and God is already blessing that. And uh, we are seeing people who are being set free, who are being delivered of things that they're struggling with. And... You'll notice there's a bit of a difference in the way that CR works and the way that, you know, if you've been in AA or if you've been at, at Narconon, uh, in the way you introduce yourself. So if you're at AA or Narconon, you come in and you say, hi, my name is John and I'm an alcoholic. Or, hi, my name is John and I'm a drug addict. We don't do it that way. The way we do it is this way. Hello, I'm John. I'm a grateful believer who struggles with, and then talk about what we struggle with. We don't identify as our addiction. We don't identify as the things we're struggling with. 
We believe that our primary identity isn't our struggle. Our primary identity is found in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? I worked in mental health housing before I came here. And it's very easy when you're working with people who have developed mental disorders or they have a diagnosis of a mental illness, it's very easy to lapse into identifying that person as their illness. Oh, that's Sally, the schizophrenic. We're taught to step back and, and to think that through. That's, that's not her identity. She's not the illness. She's not the schizophrenia. We're taught to step back and focus on the person. That's Sally. That's Sally, the young woman who has a diagnosis of schizophrenia. That person is not the illness. Her identity is Sally. You see where I'm going with this? As followers of Jesus, we don't lose our identity when we become a Christian. Remember, there's more than one thing involved in identity. But primarily, we identify as believers in Christ. That determines the path we follow. That determines the choices that we make. It determines what we do with Scripture when we read it. It causes us to talk to people in a certain way. It chooses love over criticism, peace over battles and war. That's because in Christ, we are a new creation. We're something new and different. And I ask the question again, who are you? Who are you? Let me ask you to pick up the bulletin this morning. If you've got a bulletin, if you don't, we're going to put it up on the screen here in a second. But uh, inside, in the sermon notes, there's a, there's a list of things. And it says at the top, who are you? And then in smaller print, it says, who am I in Christ? Well, here's some of the things. There's, there's so many things. That, to my count, there are more than 50 places in the New Testament where it says, this is who you are in very amazing terms because of Jesus, right? Now, I've only picked a few, some of them to go through this morning and some of them to put on that list there, but, but I, I want to just read a few of them through. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I am a child of God. We sang about that twice in a row this morning. That's why we're singing about that. I am a child of God. I am Christ's friend. I am God's temple. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a new creation. I am a minister of reconciliation. I am a saint. Yeah, it calls you a saint. Yes, it does. I am a saint. I am God's workmanship. One of my favorite words in the New Testament, that word workmanship there is the word poema. Literally, I am God's poem. I am righteous and holy because I'm in Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven. Now, I, I want you to read these last four with me out loud, would you? I am chosen by God, holy and dearly loved, I am born of God, and the devil cannot touch me. I am redeemed, and I have been forgiven. I am complete in Christ 
Jesus. Amen? Identifying as a believer in Jesus first, gaining our identity in Christ can change our entire life. It certainly changes our perspective. Knowing who you are in Jesus, it allows you to live in confidence instead of arrogance. If you are in Christ, you belong to Jesus. It changes your path. It influences your opinions. It permeates your thoughts. Identity reflects the values you hold. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I identify with Jesus first and let him influence my life according to his word and his will. And if I do that, I manifest fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I have to choose. I have a lot of choices. Sometimes I have to make the choices over and over again. I can choose to live by the flesh, and I will manifest the things of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, dissension, and factions. Or I can choose Christ first. And if I do so, and if I'm living in that, I will manifest love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness and self-control. The way we identify ourselves chooses for us a path to follow. It's Christ first, always. It's not Jesus first except when it comes to my occupation. It's not Jesus first when except when it comes to politics. It's not Jesus first except when it comes to sex or sexuality. It's not Jesus first except when it clashes with popular culture. If you say you're following Jesus, it's Jesus first always. Now, I say that recognizing the difficulty of doing that, you know? It's harder to do than to say. But it is never going to be easy in this life. Never. But following Jesus doesn't give us a free pass from life's difficulties. It just doesn't. You know, we think, some, oh, if you just come to Jesus, everything will be, everything will be good. That's a lie. That isn't true. Preachers love to say that. But it's not true, I'm here to tell you. There are going to be difficulties in life, whether you are a Christian or not a Christian. But in Christ, you can find a way through it. I would encourage you, don't accept a label when you can receive an identity. When you can receive the identity in Jesus. You know, when Simon showed his greatest faith, and he understood who Jesus was as the Messiah, what happened? Jesus gave him a new name. You are Simon, but today I say you are Peter, based on his confession. When Saul, the persecutor of the Christians, the murderer of Stephen, believed in Jesus and began to follow him, he began to use 
his other name, Paul, because he wanted to show that something new has happened. He wanted to reflect the change that had taken place in him when he began to take his identity from Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, way back in chapter 2, it says, to the one who's victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. It's talking about a, a new identity in Christ. And I'll, I'll tell you something that I believe right up front. I believe that Jesus has already picked out your new name. I believe that he's waiting you receive it by living for Jesus first, taking your identity from him. When your identity is in Christ, you are fully accepted. When your identity is in Christ, you're fully secure in him. And you are significant beyond the wildest thing that you can dream of. And you are loved. Always loved. Forever. That's what it means to live in Christ to take your identity from Christ, to let that new identity influence your choices and mark your path. So how will you answer that question? Who are you when you stand before Jesus? Because one day you will, one day I will. How will we answer that question? Who are you? I hope and I pray that on that day, you will answer, Lord Jesus, I am yours. Amen? Can I ask you to stand with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we stand before you this morning. These moments could be a turning point in our lives. Or we could just go on doing the same old, same old. Lord, move in us through your Holy Spirit. Make us entirely yours. Fill us with your spirit and give us the courage to step out in faith and to take our identity in you first before everything else. We are a lot of things, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters. We have occupations and opinions about everything from politics to sex. But of all the identities we claim, let us be Christ followers first. And Lord, let that identity rule over everything else. In this moment, Lord, I confess that, that I have sometimes put other things first. I ask your forgiveness for that. I place my full trust in you, and I give you my all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing as we sing our closing song. Um, let me just say to you, if you'd like someone to pray with you this morning or pray for you today, you can come on up during the song or you can wait till the end of the service and come on up and we'll make sure that we're here to pray for you.